New Horizon has been serving the church in Northern Ireland since 1989, and we're delighted to bring you this talk today. We trust you will be blessed through this ministry. Good morning. It is nice to see you all. Thank you so much for coming. It is a glorious week of weather, so um, well done for sticking out another hour in a slightly sweaty tent at this stage. <laughs> um, great, let's get, let's get cracking. So um, my name is Hannah. Um, I am an East Belfast girl, born and bred. Um, I worship at a church called Orangefield Presbyterian Church. Um, don't told me to that. Um, and it's just such a joy to be at the North Coast this week. It's such a joy to be back in the room with a load of people who all have the same um, heart and drive and mission. It's so encouraging. It's, it's really been a joy for us this week. There's the lights are on. Brilliant. Um, so I'm also part of the team at International Justice Mission. I'll call it IJM from here on in. And I lead our work here in Ireland. You may be wondering who IJM are if you haven't heard of the organization before. Um, IJM um, is a global organization. We're working all around the world. Robert's already mentioned um, an office in DC, but we're working all around the world, loads of different um, countries. It's the largest organization of its kind, and we are partnering to protect people who are living in poverty um, from violence. That's violence like modern day slavery, human trafficking, and violence against women and children. We're gonna watch a quick video to kick us off with a bit of an intro to the work, hopefully. I wonder when you hear that word slavery, what is it that comes to mind for you? Are you thinking about something from a history book? Are you thinking about the transatlantic slave trade? Maybe you just never thought about it before, totally fair. I wonder, did you know that today there are over 40 million people who are trapped in modern day slavery? 40 million people. And modern day slavery can look like a whole load of different things. It could look like girls trafficked into the sex industry in Romania and across Europe. We're going to think about that a little bit more this morning. It could look like kids in the Philippines who are being abused and that's put online where it's streamed to people all over the world. It could look like families being trapped, making bricks at brick kilns um, in South Asia, uh, forced to work for long days with little or no pay. They're not allowed to leave. Could look like kids being trafficked into the fishing industry in Ghana, onto fishing boats, forced to work um, in dangerous conditions on the water instead of being in school. It's happening on the other side of the world. It's happening on our doorsteps. The reality of slavery in our world today is unimaginably dark. And so IJM is working to bring light into these dark places, to bring hope, to bring justice where there's injustice. IJM around the world is made up of teams of lawyers and social workers and aftercare providers working to rescue individuals and families and children from trafficking and violence, working alongside local police forces and local governments to change the systems, to change the way things are done so that people who are vulnerable, people who are living in poverty, are protected from slavery and violence in the first place. They don't even end up there because the system protects them and they have access to that justice system when they need it the most. 
That's a bit about IJM. We've called this seminar this morning a spark of light in the darkness. Light is a funny thing, isn't it? Can't really be stopped. Even a minute ago, we were closing that door because it was so bright coming in. Darkness cannot extinguish light. I know already there's a couple of new parents in the room. Maybe you will empathize with me. So I became a mum for the first time last year. <laughs> it's a joy. But in those first few months of newborn chaos, we'll call it, <laughs> all you want in those moments is for somebody to come and present to you the baby manual. <laughs> what do I do to stop them from crying? What do I do to get them to go to sleep? Please, somebody tell me. And we find that people recommended to us in those early days that one way to help your baby to go to sleep is to make it completely dark, pitch black. Can't even see your hand in front of your face. So we were like, we're going to try it, absolutely. So we went and bought blackout blinds. We thought we'd cracked it. We put up the blackout blinds, rolled them down, time for bed, great. But light was still creeping in around the sides of the blackout blinds. It wasn't dark. Oh. So we thought, okay, we're going to keep going with this. We went out and bought blackout curtains. <laughs> and we put the blackout curtains on top of the blackout blinds and we closed them. But there was still light coming into the room along the top and the bottom. We were like, for goodness sake. So we did all sorts of different techniques of tucking the curtain in at the top and taping it at the bottom. But no matter what we did, we couldn't actually get the room to be completely dark. Light is so powerful in darkness. And to bring it back to IJM, that's what IJM is trying to do, to bring some light into those dark places to protect people who are living in poverty from slavery and violence. Uh, slavery and violence is something that is happening all over the world today. But today, this morning, maybe this afternoon, I want to share with you, we're going to think a little bit more about um, some stories and some thoughts from IJM's newer work um, that in the last year or two has kicked off tackling trafficking right here in Europe. Um, IJM is now working to prevent cross-border trafficking within Europe. There's a hub, um, an IJM hub based in Romania, although the issue of trafficking really is something we're seeing right across Europe. And it's estimated that there's 4 million victims of human trafficking right here in Europe. 4 million victims of human trafficking in Europe. This is a darkness that is close. It's on our streets. And actually, even in Northern Ireland last year, there were 363 human trafficking referrals. I don't know if you've ever been on holiday somewhere in Europe um, and you're trying to use the local systems while you're there on holiday. Maybe you've needed a doctor and you've been trying to navigate the GP hospital system or you've had your wallet stolen and you're trying to navigate the, um, the police, local police office and, and their systems. You're looking at something that's in a different language for a start. There's different forms to fill in that you're not used to. There's different systems and processes and um, people and partner agencies and follow-on steps. It's pretty complicated, hey, to try and do that in a different setting to what you're used to. And whilst there are so many incredible advantages of being able to have easy access to travel across Europe, the complexities of moving between those different systems and structures 
um, as you move between countries. It leaves gaps for traffickers to exploit. And there's weaknesses for local authorities when they're responding to exploitation effectively. Um, to help explain a little bit more about some of the context for that work, I uh, called my colleague Stefan um, last week and we filmed a couple of um, interview questions that I'm going to play. Stefan is part of the team in Romania with IJM. He is the advocacy and partnerships lead um, in Romania. And I caught up with him last week to ask him a few questions ahead of today, which we will hopefully listen to now. This is Stefan. Okay, I think we are recording. Hello, Stefan, thank you so much for joining us. Um, Stefan, you're joining us all the way from Romania. You thought you were going to be sitting in your Romanian office for the day, but actually you're joining us on the north coast of Ireland for a few moments. <laughs> so welcome. Hey, Hannah, thank you. It was a short flight, so... Yeah. <laughs> Well, we are really thankful for you um, carving out some time to join us in this space. So thank you. But before we get started into some of the questions, Stefan, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about uh, you and your family, how you came to IJM. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, again, thank you. And hey, everybody. Uh, my name is Stefan Coman. I am Partnerships and Advocacy Lead for IJM Romania. Um, I am uh, responsible for keeping in contact and building relationship with government stakeholders and other nonprofits um, to identify barriers in the fight against human trafficking in Romania and to come with solutions for those problems. Um, I'm married. Uh, I have three kids, uh, two boys and a girl. Uh, one of the boys is adopted. Um, so I really, you know, most, most of my professional background has been in fighting anti-trafficking and a little bit of uh, dealing with vulnerable groups in children in foster care specifically. So my adopted kid uh, is part of my, uh, my work and my personal life at the same time. Uh, he's a great source of uh, inspiration for my, um, you know, uh, for my job and also for my talks whenever I do something similar to this. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much about me. Great. Brilliant. Well, thank you for joining us. You're very welcome to New Horizon um, at this seminar. Um, we have been sharing a little bit at New Horizon about IJM's new work in Europe, tackling cross-border trafficking across Europe. Um, we'd love to know a little bit more from you about what does the scale of, what? tell us about the context, what, what does the scale of the problem look like? Um, across Europe and what, how does Romania fit into that? Because we know that you're sitting currently in Romania. Yeah, uh, I'm sitting in Northern Ireland. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> sorry, sorry. How it, how it is in Romania. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know how much of this you've already talked about, but we are living in a time where we have more people in slavery than we've ever had in the history of mankind. Uh, most of it is due to population growth, uh, but numbers matter when you're counting people. So most estimates uh, say that there's about 40 billion people in slavery today. Now, a large population of those people are enslaved uh, within Europe. They are hidden under our, in their hidden plain sight under our very eyes. Um, so there's an estimated 4 million people enslaved in Europe. Um, again, these are estimates. Um, and in terms of uh, the perspective on Romania, the Eurostat reports show that Romania generally ranges the number of Romanians that are identified as victims of human trafficking range between 20 and 25 percent in the last I think five years so 
when you count 27 countries and you have one country having over 20%, you know that there's a disproportionate amount of Romanians that have been uh, trafficked within the European Union. Now, there's a lot of factors that lead to this. Uh, one factor is the fact that a quarter of Romania's population has left the country and searched for better jobs in Western Europe. Um, and there's also the economic uh, differences between Romania and Western Europe. Um, but it does mean that a lot of uh, my countrymen are working uh, either extremely long hours for little or no pay in Western Europe, or they're being forced to commit acts that are not of their own volition. Um, so this is the problem we are trying to address. Um, and, you know, on the one side, Romania has really taken advantage of joining the EU, uh, the fact that we have access to the open market. And after we cross the border with Hungary and we go into the Schengen space, we have freedom of movement. So basically you can drive from country to country and it takes you like four hours to cross Hungary. It might take you two or three hours to cross Slovakia into Poland, um, which is a great thing, but it's a great thing for traffickers as well. So someone that's trafficking people can take someone from the border, close to the border of Romania, and in six, seven, eight hours can cross, you know, two borders and be, you know, uh, in, a, in the third country in, in that amount of time, uh, which offers them a lot of freedom to exploit people, manipulate them and use circumstances to control those people. If you're taking someone from a vulnerable background into countries where they don't speak the language, don't understand the system, those are means of control. So being inside the EU gives a lot of freedom and opportunities for traffickers, but in terms of law enforcement, for Romanian police to coordinate with Hungarian police, to then coordinate with Slovakian police, to then coordinate with Polish police, there are certain mechanisms that need to be put into place, which means that it takes sometimes days, weeks, or maybe more in order for those law enforcement agencies to uh, coordinate. And this is where we're trying to come in. Uh, IGM is building this European cross-border uh, anti-trafficking program which uh, wants to strengthen international cooperation between law enforcement, uh, ensure victim services and empower survivors to speak up um, and make governments take action for a stronger criminal justice response. Um, the hub of this European anti-trafficking program is in Bucharest, Romania. Um, and we've hired staff with an operational mindset in Germany, the UK, and Netherlands for now, and we're looking to expand into Hungary, Bulgaria, Poland, and then Italy, Spain, and France. So we're trying to create this network of people that all report to one place in Bucharest, Romania, who try to coordinate law enforcement agencies across borders within Europe to end this impunity for traffickers and ultimately protect people that are at risk of trafficking. Wow. That's, that's amazing. And um, yeah, although there's a lot of people coming from Romania who are experiencing trafficking, what you're describing is a true cross-border issue that freedom of movement across Europe, um, as you say, is a, is a real blessing in lots of ways, but is a real opportunity for traffickers. So that, that's some of that wider, that wider context across Europe. But what about the UK? How does the UK fit into that story? So... Yeah, the UK fits and doesn't fit. Uh, it has been some time since it's been kind of the odd country within the within the European continent. But um, for for a large number of years, for many years, 
the UK has ranked uh, in the top destination countries, uh, at least for Romanians, but not just for Romanians in terms of uh, exploitation. Um, so I think for the last seven or eight years, Romanians are the number one or number two population that are trafficked into the UK. And in terms of where Romanians are being exploited throughout Europe, generally the UK is again ranked number one or number two in competition with, with Germany. So the UK is known primarily as a destination country. Um, and that's because mostly because traffickers decide to exploit people in the UK. And that comes from two, two reasons. Uh, one, you can make more money in the UK off of selling people for sexual services or for forced labor. There's more money to be made in the UK because the prices are higher. Um, and the other reason is there's a demand for cheap labor and sexual services in the UK. Um, the UK has significantly wrapped up its efforts to fight uh, modern slavery. And Romania and the UK have actually have the highest number of joint investigation teams under the coordination of Europol within Europe. Um, so it's doing a good job, but whenever you see a lot of joint investigation teams or a lot of cases, uh, it means on the one hand that the police is doing their job, but on the other hand, it shows you that there's a real problem and that there's a mechanism that traffickers are used to and are using repetitively just because there's a lot of money in this and it's easy to do business with people from Romania that are going to be exploited in the UK. Right. We will leave it there. So Stefan giving us that slightly bigger contextual picture of what the issue of trafficking looks like across Europe. Romania consistently being ranked highly as a country where people are trafficked from and the UK consistently being ranked highly as a destination country for trafficking victims to end up in. That's some of that wider context of vulnerability to trafficking in Europe, but each of those four million, estimated four million trafficking victims in Europe, they each have their own story. And I'd love to share a few stories with you this morning to help get our heads around what that looks like for one person. If you were here on Monday, um, I shared very briefly about a girl called Antonia. I'd love to share with you her full story this morning. Antonia is now a 21-year-old. Uh, she's a single mum from a rural village in Romania. Um, when she was 19, um, I don't know what you were doing at 19, but for Antonia, she was working in a pretzel shop in Romania. Um, she wasn't earning very much doing that. She, she therefore didn't, she had a pretty basic standard of living. And then a friend told her about this amazing job opportunity. And so often we see that trafficking starts through a trusted relationship, a friend, a partner, a family member. A friend told Antonia about a job opportunity that was in the UK. It was in a packaging factory. She'd be pack packaging goods. But the, the job was a trick. Um, it was a lie. Instead, Antonia, when she accepted the job opportunity, was trafficked across Europe through Germany, ended up in the UK, where she was then to be exploited for sex work. When she reached the UK, Antonia had all of her documents taken off her. Um, she didn't have anything to her name at that point. And she was forced to engage in prostitution. And through that abuse, um, Antonia then became pregnant um, she then suffered serious physical abuse at the hands of her traffickers as they tried to um, abort the baby. 
Antonia for months went through this suffering until miraculously she had a moment to borrow a client's phone and she called for help. And through that call, um, Antonia was able to be rescued by the London Met Police um, alongside IJM helping to coordinate. She was rescued, Antonia today is free, and the traffickers that were there were arrested. IJM then was able to meet Antonia at the airport, um, and she helped, uh, IJM helped Antonia to travel home to Romania safely to her family. IJM is now continuing to support Antonia and her little baby who is safe and well um, as she goes through a healing and restoration process. Um, after the ordeal that she suffered. IJM's teams were also able to identify one of the other traffickers who had run away to another European country. They tracked them down. Um, they were arrested and brought to the UK where um, that lady trafficker was uh, stood trial. Antonia incredibly bravely came back to the UK with IJM staff. She wanted to come back to testify against the people who trafficked her. And through that unbelievable, unbelievably brave moment of giving evidence, the traffickers were found guilty and they were sentenced to 12 years. We are thrilled that Antonia was um, actually awarded um, significant compensation um, for the ordeal that she'd been through. Not a normal moment for trafficking victims to receive financial compensation. So a real moment of celebration for Antonia as she continues um, her life with her family in Romania. You can begin to see how complicated it can be to find and rescue um, individuals to identify and arrest and convict those who are trafficking to rehabilitate people who've been through this ordeal all along that complex process, but also then through multiple countries and multiple systems with multiple stakeholders. That's Antonia's story. Let me tell you Grace's story. Grace um, is a lady who's now in her mid-30s. But the part of the story I'm going to tell you of Grace's life was um, started whenever she was a teenager. Grace grew up in a family um, that was quite vulnerable and disorganized. Um, she wasn't getting the sort of care and attention that she needed as a teenager growing up in her family. Then a boy came on the scene and he gave her loads of love and attention and Grace fell in love with him. And um, they became a couple. But sadly, that boy wasn't in the relationship for the same reasons that she was. And this is another common method that we see used by traffickers um, that um, is known as the lover boy technique. He used their relationship and manipulation to convince Grace to start working in prostitution. But for his benefit, he got paid. And so she started working in prostitution in Romania at 15 years old. When she was 17, the boy convinced her, the man convinced her um, to come across the border with him to do some work there. And she was exploited across Europe in multiple countries, including in the UK um, at this time. After a while, she decided, actually, I want to stop this work. I don't want to keep doing this anymore. But her partner, who was also her trafficker, um, would use, they had two children together at this stage, and he would use their children as blackmail to keep her in this work. But after some time, she decided, you know what, I've had enough. I've had enough. I want out of here. And so she incredibly bravely grabbed her kids and ran. <laughs> and she ended up at a police station um, 
where they were able to help her in that moment of release um, to stop that exploitation. IJM came in and were able to help to get her back to Romania um, and helped her to get access to the aftercare that she needed, some psychological um, counseling, access to housing, some legal assistance. Um, and one of IJM's partner organizations in Romania um, runs a safe home. She, um, Grace and her kids were allowed to live there so that they would have the sort of necessary safety arrangements in place because she wasn't able to go. It was too dangerous for her to go back to her hometown. And at this stage, this is quite a, this is quite a recent um, case for us. IJM are currently helping to facilitate conversations between the law enforcement agency in the destination country where she ended up and also the law enforcement agencies in Romania. Um, who are investigating how she was recruited in the first place. And IGEM's working with those governments and local authorities to try and shine a light, to try and expose those processes of trafficking, to make um, those longer-term changes that will close some of the gaps in the systems that are being exploited that traffickers are taking advantage of. We just absolutely celebrate those stories like Grace and Antonia, um, stories of rescue and freedom. It's amazing, thank the Lord, that those girls are now safe. But it's, it's complicated. It's not a straightforward process, and there is more work to be done. IJM started this work in Europe now about two years ago. Um, and almost two years, sorry, about 18 months, sorry, actually, after IJM opened the hub in Romania, and they'd spent 18 months getting to know the relevant stakeholders, making sure um, they were in the know, the right partnerships, getting set up for that long work of addressing trafficking, cross-border trafficking in Europe. After 18 years of doing this work, Russia invaded Ukraine. And overnight, vulnerability in Europe changed shape. The levels of vulnerability in Europe skyrocketed overnight and today Europe is experiencing the worst refugee crisis since World War II. After the conflict began, the UN issued a warning that refugee women and children would be specifically targeted by traffickers. And millions of people have fled their homes in Ukraine as a result of that conflict. They're forced to leave behind possessions and loved ones. They have no plans necessarily of where to go next. Many have been put at risk of trafficking and exploitation. Imagine if tomorrow morning, tomorrow morning you had to leave your home with no notice, just with the bags that you could pack tonight, bringing your kids with you, probably on your own. You don't really know where you're going, except you know you're going away. You don't really know how long for. You don't really know how you're going to get there, except you're getting on this bus, and we'll see what happens after that. And you're relying on people and opportunities that come up that can help you along the way. And amazingly, as we've seen here, but right across Europe, amazingly, the public response to this conflict has been remarkably generous. People offering rooms to stay in and lifts to get to the next location and offers of work for income, the chance to get an income again, which is perfect for people who don't have much of a plan and have limited resources. But that opens up a very real opportunity for traffickers to exploit the situation. People are relying on that help 
um, and the offers of help being generous and being good-natured. But sadly, traffickers will look for and exploit those sorts of situations and people for their own gain. Let me tell you another story. I'm going to tell you Larissa's story. Larissa is a Ukrainian woman. She was fleeing the conflict earlier on in the year. And while she was fleeing the conflict, she um, was traveling with a man who had promised to take her to safety from um, where she was. But he then actually robbed her at the border and abandoned her on the Romanian border. She was picked up and um, cared for by an IJM-trained local shelter. They were able to arrange um, a safe and vetted onward journey into Nuremberg in Germany. Great, brilliant to have intervened in that story. But then halfway through her journey to Nuremberg in Germany, Larissa was on her phone and she was contacted by another man um, who on the face of it um, seemed to be offering her genuine help um, and with the promises of a job, job, which as I've said is a common trick that traffickers use, he convinced her to get off that bus and to get on a different bus to Berlin where he would meet her for this new job. Thankfully the um, partner shelter of IJMs were still in touch with Larissa um, at this stage and she was telling them of her change of plans and they became aware of this suspicious behavior of this man. They were able to warn Larissa on the phone, that job is a trap. We would strongly recommend you don't go and give her some support and advice. She was then able to get off the bus to Berlin, get back on the train to Nuremberg, where a trusted NGO partner picked her up. She is today safe and staff are working with her um, to spot those risks of trafficking um, on her journey and to help her as she goes forward. So you can, see, you can see how those risks and those vulnerabilities are very real in moments of vulnerability for people. Now, um, it's a few months on from that initial moment in March, um, and refugees and vulnerable people um, are now, originally were very concentrated around the border countries, but are now much more scattered across Europe. Um, and IJM is moving into a longer term response plan um, to address this vulnerability. So IM's European anti-trafficking program that we've been talking about this morning, um, working on cross-border trafficking um, across uh, Romania and Eastern Europe. We've been doing that for the last couple of years, doing a lot of hard work to find out who the right people are to talk to, what the right systems are, which makes us uniquely well-placed to provide support in this area of vulnerability, in this crisis to stop trafficking now and in the future. To give you an idea of some of what IJM has been able to do in this moment um, of crisis, uh, since the conflict began, IJM has been able to provide support um, to prevent exploitation, um, including different things like we've been partnering with churches and shelters to provide training for them to spot the signs of um, women and children who are particularly vulnerable to traffickers. Um, we've been employing Ukrainian and Russian-speaking protection officers in the teams to work with governments to prevent that wider-scale trafficking issue growing. We've been providing some practical support like food um, and SIM cards to enable people to stay in touch with charities and families 
uh, trusted people as they do make those onward journeys. Been helping to coordinate safe transport, vetted transport, to reduce the risk of people accepting offers of transport from people who would exploit them. And through partners in Ukraine, um, we've been sharing and distributing information on how people can stay safe on the borders and as they make their onward journeys, including contact numbers for authorities um, with Ukrainian speakers and border control numbers and emergency services numbers, lots of information for people to have to hand. And then alongside responding in that initial um, crisis moment way, um, we've also been paying close attention to the changing needs and risks, um, including the fact that refugees are now right across Europe, not just at the border. Those who have recently crossed the border, their, um, their ongoing vulnerabilities are different to the moment um, of the crisis, whether that is the vulnerability of losing their home, losing their livelihood, their family connections. And all of those vulnerabilities and risks will increase as people's money runs out, their resources come to an end, and in desperate need of support, it's in those moments that traffickers can provide support, which is actually a trick, and people are at risk of being exploited. Part of the way that IJM works is specifically to partner with other people to try and ad address the scale of some of these issues. So partnering with governments, local authorities, uh, local agencies, police forces. But IGM also has the joy of partnering with the church around the world too. That was the church around the world. The mic caught it, cut out at just exactly the right moment there. <laughs> IGM partners with the church around the world too. And um, I'm going to show you another quick video of some church leaders um, and what they've been able to do to respond to um, the refugee crisis that we're seeing alongside IJM. I got too excited and didn't show you that one. Uh, when we started this project, I told to the staff and to the volunteers, uh, do not think of this just uh, of a project where we just give food and we just give shelter and clothes. Just think of an opportunity now to show what we, uh, all of us heard in our churches preaching, uh, living the gospel, proclaiming the gospel. Now it's a time where you can live the gospel and proclaim the gospel and uh, showing love and taking care of people, but uh, uh, not just showing that, but also telling why we are doing that. I remember that in the first week, most of the Ukrainians who came in our shelter, they were asking, why are you doing this? Uh, you are not our brothers. Our brothers are the Russians and the Russians are killing us. Why you Romanians? Because the history of Romanian and Ukraine, it's also really interesting. Some of the south part of Ukraine, it was Romania in the past. So they, were, they, they know that and said, we stole some of your land. And how is that your Romanians are receiving us and loving us and give us shelter? And I, all the time when I was asked uh, this question, I said, uh, we are not doing that because we are good or we have something or we want to prove something. We are doing this because of God. Uh, he showed us love. We have to show you love because this is the command in the scripture. Um, if we are showing love, the people will know that we are uh, Jesus' disciples. So we are trying every day through all the discussions, through all the debriefings, and to all uh, the things we are doing. And also every day we have a, a prayer group or a chapel time with them. We're just trying to point their attention to the God and telling them, okay, your hope, 
your last hope or your first hope or whatever you want, your hope is God. Brilliant. Some church leaders uh, from Romania there that IJM have been partnering with. You'll remember um, a moment ago I told you that the UN warned um, of the risk that traffickers would target women and children um, coming out of Ukraine and in their vulnerability. Because the work um, that um, has been happening in Romania and beyond has been significantly widespread through partners and churches like these guys, through trusted friends. And because the response was so quick, because IGM has been there learning the lay of the land for 18 months, um, the scale of exploitation that the UN warned was possible has not become a reality. Hundreds of thousands of people like Larissa have actually been protected from the dangers of trafficking. And this is fantastic news, given the scale of the problem that we could have seen unfold. Brilliant news. We've called this seminar Spark of Light in the Darkness. And we see in the Bible, when we, um, when we read about God's character, God, God invites the church to be light in the darkness. We've just seen these church leaders, but not just the churches who are right on the borders in these places. God invites the church, the big C church, to be a light in the darkness. And in Matthew 5, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And in this moment, it's like the very origin of the church. Jesus is inspiring his disciples about what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus and together followers of Jesus as the church. In Matthew 5, starting at verse 14, he's just said, you are the salt of the earth. And now he says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. He says, you are the light of the world. And light finds its greatest purpose in darkness, doesn't it? If you think about whenever you accidentally leave a light on during the day, you don't even notice it, right? And then eventually you're like, oh, that light's on. I'll switch it off. It's daytime. You don't even notice it. But if you think about light serving its purpose, we think about security lights at night or lights guiding a plane down when it's pitch black or a head torch for um, some mountain rescue or a lamp that we switch on in the evening to read a book. Light finds its purpose in darkness. You wouldn't light a lamp and put it under a bowl. I once um, heard someone describe it a bit like this. Um, Whenever you're in your car, you're going for a drive, um, in your car you have airbags and you have a cup holder. Both things exist in your car. And cup holders serve their um, highest and best purpose. Cup holders are living their best lives when everything is going just right in the car. Imagine it's a beautiful day like yesterday, you're driving down the coast road, you've got a wonderful iced vanilla latte with you, you're living your best life and your iced vanilla latte is in your cup holder in your car. Fantastic, the cup holder is doing an excellent job, it's fulfilling its purpose. In contrast to that, the airbag, the airbag serves its highest 
purpose, when everything is going most wrong. It's at that point of high collision, when the car is crumbling, the steel is crushing in, there are bodies rumbling around inside of the car. And at that moment, that's, that is the moment that the airbag was made for. It's to rush into and not away from a moment of chaos, to place itself in between violence and vulnerability to save lives. In a broken and fallen world, in the midst of darkness in the world, we're to be more like the airbag, not so much like the cup holder. We're called to be a light in the darkness, to be people who move towards the brokenness and not run away from it. Light finds its purpose in darkness. So what does it look like for the church to be a light in the darkness today? Well, way back in the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah uses the idea of light shining in the darkness to help to describe what true worship looks like. He's talking to the Israelites and he's saying, instead of restricting your worship or um, your relationship with God to, with, to just one day or one moment, he's saying our worship is so much more than that and how we respond to injustice and the darkness that we see in the world is a big part of that. This passage I'm going to read out uh, from Isaiah 58. It starts by calling out the Israelites. They're super like frustrated and they're complaining. They're engaging in all these spiritual practices but it's not having the desired effect. It's not bringing them closer to God and God turns the tables on them in this moment to tell them that what they're missing out on. They've been engaging in all these rituals of worship, but they've neglected to live out their worship in a way that honors God's heart of compassion. Isaiah 58, picking up at verse 10, says this, Is this the kind of fast or worship I've chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, the Lord will answer, you will cry for help and he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression and the pointing finger and malicious talk and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry, and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness. Your night will become like the moon day. He's challenging them here to say, to see that justice and mercy are essential parts of our Christian lives. They're essential part of what it means for the church to be in the world. In other words, you can't simply zero in on your own spiritual life while neglecting the needs of others. And the promise that he has for the Israelites is that, that for those who pay attention to justice and mercy in their devotion is that God will answer their calls. They will um, 
flourish in the land and find joy and triumph in their spiritual lives. In other words, the, the very thing that they were looking for, the very thing, um, the aspect of their spiritual devotion that had left them feeling empty was a lack of devotion to justice and mercy for the oppressed. Once they start paying attention to that type of fasting, that type of worship, that type of Christian lifestyle, then they will enjoy the very thing that they were looking for in the first place. Our worship and our relationship with God, it's part of a really big picture, isn't it? The church sits in the world. We are part of this world right now. It's not just about our own personal spiritual lives, but about how we respond to the injustice and the darkness that we see around the world today, bringing light into the darkness. The church can bring light into the darkness when we make justice a central part of who we are, of what our worship looks like, a central part of our faith an intrinsic part of what it means to follow Jesus and serve a God that is described as a God of justice, individually and together as the body of Christ. Micah 6, 8, those well-known verses. What does the Lord require of you? The people are asking almost sarcastically, does God require us to do this? Does God need this? What does he expect me to do? And God responds very simply by saying, what does the Lord require of you? to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Sometimes we can make church really complicated, can't we? <laughs> Sometimes it is. <laughs> but God's message to the church is simple. Act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with me. Light is the one thing that can drive out darkness. Jesus is described as the light of the world. And the church, the ones that represent him on earth right now, those are the ones who carry the Holy Spirit with them. The church can bring light in the darkness of the world today. The church has a role to play in bringing justice where there is injustice, in bringing freedom where there is oppression, in bringing hope where everything feels lost. And whether that's practically or prayerfully or financially or in partnerships or in fellowship, when we have our eyes open to the injustice around the world today, the reality for people who are living in poverty, the 40 million people who are trapped in modern day slavery, the real threat of trafficking and exploitation for refugees and vulnerable people across Europe. It can be a natural reaction to shy away from that, to turn off the news, change the channel, try and think about something else, because it's hard and it's sad and it's pretty overwhelming. But just as the airbag serves its greatest purpose in the middle of the challenge in between the violence and the vulnerable, so the church can serve its purpose confronting the darkness in the world with the light and hope of Jesus. What does the Lord require of us? How do we respond? To act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. It's over to us to respond, and we do that together with him. We're going to watch one more quick video before we move on. 
What if we dared to imagine, hey? If we dared to imagine a world where children aren't sold into slavery, where people can call for help in the moment that they need it the most? What if we dared to imagine a world where children aren't abused online and violence against women and children is a thing of the past because perpetrators are held to account? What if we dared to imagine that a world like that was possible? What would you do? I'm going to leave you with a few questions to ponder over as you think about maybe how you respond. My question to you this morning is, what's in your hand? Just as Jesus asked the disciples at the feeding of the 5,000, just as he asked that little boy with the five loaves and two fish before he then miraculously fed thousands of people, Jesus can take what's in our hand. What is in your hand today? Three questions for you. Where's your influence? Where's your influence? Who do you influence? Your family? Your friends? Your work? Is it a policy? Is it a program? Is it content? Is it an agenda? Who can you invite on this journey of justice? Where's your influence? Second question for you. What's your platform? What's your platform? Is it the dinner table? Is it the committee that you're on? Is it the board that you're on? Is it the PTA? Is it your social media? Where can you share a message of hope, of light in the darkness, of daring to imagine a world where slavery doesn't exist? Where's your influence? What's your platform? And thirdly, what can you contribute? Is it time? Is it money? Is it skills? Is it your voice? Can you be an advocate? Can you, can you give your prayers? What is it that you can give? I'm going to leave those questions up in case you want to have a think about that um, as we wrap up in a second. I'm going to leave, um, leave those questions up, but to give you a, a couple of possible practical next steps that if this is something you feel like you want to respond to, there's loads of things that are in those questions, but I'm going to give you a couple of examples of ways you could get involved today. I wonder, would you, would you pray with IJM? Prayer is the absolute heartbeat of everything that, that drives everything at IJM. So much so that all around the world, all of those teams, 1,200 people in the organization stop for an hour a day to pray. 1,200 people around the world stop for an hour a day to pray, being still and lifting our requests to God, praying into the next rescue mission that we know is going to happen, or praying that laws would be changed, or giving thanks for um, some really well-received police training that happened. The stuff that's going on around the world is nothing short of miraculous. Thank goodness Jesus takes what's in our hand and feeds uh, 5,000 people with it, metaphorically speaking. I wonder, could you join us and pray for this work? Would you take the time today to sign up to receive regular prayer um, requests and pray with us in this justice journey? Um, maybe some guys at the back don't have. These are the same ones that we um, used on Monday. There's a link on the back of this postcard. There's loads at the front here. There's also some of the stands. So if there's not one near you, don't worry, you can get one. There's a link on the back of this that if you go to it or scan the QR code, scroll to the bottom of the page, there's an option to sign up to receive regular prayer requests that you could pray with us in this journey of justice. Would you pray with us? Number two, how could you get your church inspired about justice? 
Would your church leader like to talk about this work more? Do you host a prayer meeting at church and could you um, pray together with people from your church about this work? Do you get, could you get your youth group involved? Could you invite an IJM speaker to come and share on a Sunday about it? If any of those things or other ideas about how you could inspire your church to be a light in the darkness in the world, to um, bring um, that hope and justice to people who need it, if that feels like something for you, come and speak to me afterwards. We would love to serve you and your church in that journey. Would you pray with us? Could you get your church inspired about this work of justice? And thirdly, I'd love to invite you, it's the same as what I said on Monday, I'd love to invite you to become an IGM Freedom Partner. Freedom Partners, um, we have a bunch of Freedom Partners who are saying, I want to bring freedom to people who need it. I'm going to commit to this work of justice, and we want to give money monthly towards this work and pray regularly. Many of them pray regularly. If that's you, if you would like to give monthly to support this work, can I invite you to also use this postcard or come and see us at the stand, the link and the QR code is where to go and only this week at New Horizon, <laughs> you've probably heard me say this a billion times, sorry, only this week at New Horizon, if you are interested in supporting IJM's work, can I encourage you to think about it this week at New Horizon because all new monthly donations that are set up will be matched pound for pound for the first year of your giving. So if you sign up at five pounds a month, we have a supporter who will match that to 10 pounds a month. You have the chance to double your impact um, through IJM for the first year of your giving. So if you're thinking about that, now is a really good time to do that. That's only available this week at New Horizon. So if you're thinking about that, don't miss that opportunity. And we spoke to that freedom partner who wants to support that um, match this week. She said, I'm a freedom partner because it's so exciting to be part of what God is doing through IJM. I'm not able to burst into brothels or factories and rescue people um, who are living in slavery. But by praying and giving regularly, I have the privilege of enabling others to bring hope, healing, and transformation around the world. Amazing. If you'd like to become an IGM Freedom Partner, visit the link in your card or come and see me now or at the stand um, afterwards. We're the stand that you need your sunglasses for, the Freedom Lights. Um, that's me pretty much ready to wrap up. There's postcards on some of your seats if you would like that. Come and get one from me if not. If you're interested in this and would like to read more, you can pick up a magazine from me at the front. I will be around for a while to chat. Thank you so much for coming this morning and being a part of this work of justice just by being here and listening. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this talk. If you would like to know more about New Horizon, please visit our website at newhorizon.org.uk.